Nothing old. Nothing old. Nothing old. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. Listen along as accomplished guests discuss success and failures during their journeys as entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors. Bettering your position starts by learning from those who went before you. That learning experience can happen anywhere, in the car, at the beach, or on a treadmill. There are no excuses for where you end up in life. If you want something bigger, the time to take action is now. There is no better time in history to achieve success. The hosts, Brian and Stu, are both Marine Corps veterans who believe life is what you make it. Your place in life is determined by your decisions. If you want more information on the podcast, please check out the website at nothingowed.com. No BS stands for Nothing Owed with Brian and Stu. That's what you're going to get with the show. Are you ready? All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. You're here with Brian and Stu, as always. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Mark Miller from Winfield Watch Company. He has started a small microbrand uh, watch company after his uh, military service. So we are very excited to have him as a guest today. Let's just get into it without further ado. Well, thanks so much for having me. I sure appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. Just as some background, one of the reasons that I wanted to have Mark on the show was I'm actually a customer of his before this show was even on the drawing board. Um, I purchased one of Mark's watches maybe six months ago or so, give or take. And as a watch guy, I am very pleased with, with the watch. And I'm not just saying that just because he's on the show. He's on the show because he has a great product. He makes some really nice uh, field watches, I think would be a term that most people are familiar with. His customer service is great. And I was really impressed when I opened the watch. And it wasn't just a watch in a generic bag or anything. It, it came with a really nice watch roll. It came with uh, some really nice watch bands. So all in all, it was a, a great experience. And for the price of the watch, I think he's he has a great product. So we on this show, we want to have people that we believe in and people that we support. And, and Mark is definitely one of those people. Oh, so, thanks. That being said, let's uh, let's dig into it. What got you to this point? You know, where did you start? You know, what was your what were some of the careers you had in the past? I know you, you served in the Navy, but you know, let, let's dig into that. I, I want to definitely talk about your, your military service um, and some of the, the cool stories you have from, from your service. So, yeah, so, great. Good. Start. Well, I guess my day job, if you want to call it that, is real estate project management, construction management, um, managing large construction projects. You know, and I've, I've worked all over the U.S. and spent an exorbitant amount of the of time in the Middle East working on projects in Riyadh and and on the East Coast and West Coast of Saudi Arabia. Uh, spent a lot of time working in the United Arab Emirates, did a project in the UK. You know, when I first started out in that career, one of my big major goals was to work internationally. So, uh, you know, so I've spent, spent quite a bit of time overseas. Um, and then as far as my military career, gentleman I worked with was a Navy captain in the reserve intelligence program. And he was talking to me about, you know, just interesting stuff related to the reserve effort and, and kind of stuff you get to do and things like that. And I'm like, well, heck yeah, that sounds great. 
So I uh, went into the Navy Reserves in 1996, ended up picking up a commission and, you know, was just doing my regular drill weekends and two weekends or two weeks a year kind of thing. And, and then next thing you know, I'm in targeting class, joint targeting class taught by the Air Force. Got to class one Tuesday morning and turned on the news and watched the Twin Towers come down. And it's like, well, okay, I guess we'll see what happens now. And next thing you know, I was recalled to active duty and decided to uh, extend on active duty. I had really two primary jobs while I was on active duty. One was uh, acting as a targeting officer. And then the second was um, being the N2, which is the designator for uh, intelligence officer, naval, and being Navy for Naval Special Warfare, where I acted as the N2 for a mission planning cell located in uh, in Coronado, in San Diego, California, and then forward deployed to Iraq, where I was a task unit N2, okay. um, working with Navy SEALs, Marine Recon, and also some British Army elements as well. Yep. I'll jump in there. Hey, uh, hey, Mark. So really interesting background with the military. And so just explain to us, um, obviously the military had an influence on you creating this, this project and all the, the outdoors types of things that you did. What led you to start the company and bring you to where you're at now? Yeah. Well, my family and I were living in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. You know, if you go to every other micro brand website, the founder will tell you how, you know, his love for watches started when he was a kid and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's a standard story. I would think for them, it's true. And for me, it certainly was true. My, you know, the first watch I had, my dad bought me a Timex for my birthday. And I just always had a really keen interest in watches. I always wore a wristwatch, even when I was a little kid, and I've never not worn a watch. So, you know, my kind of passion and love for watches has always been there. And sitting around in Saudi Arabia one summer, uh, my family was gone, and I kind of started hitting uh, YouTube and looking at watch reviews and things like that. And came across some videos about how to take watch movements apart and things like that. And so, you know, one thing led to another, and I was taking apart watch movements. And, you know, the first time I put one back together and it worked again, was <laughs> that was that was amazing it's like well i can't believe i actually put it back together and it worked yeah, um yeah so uh you know it started doing some seiko mods seiko dive watches and things like that are really popular platforms for doing uh modifications new hands new dials different movements different bezels things like that so i cranked out a few of those found a website that sourced cases they were flieger cases which are kind of german world war ii pilot watches really is what they are they ended up buying some of those cases uh, movements and hands took you know refinished the hands repainted relumed and just really kind of just got into taking stuff apart and putting it back together and you know taking black hands and bluing them through you know, thermal bluing methods and things like that. And it was all stuff I learned on, on YouTube. It was amazing. So yeah. then I came across 
micro brands started checking out micro brands and reviews and it's like you know regular guys starting watch companies i'm like well shoot that sounds like a blast so jumped off into that was originally going to do the the fleegers but that was just going to prove to be you know too much work to kind of get the volume that i was looking for so went more of a commercial route and hired a uh, kind of a marketing social media guy, which was absolutely key. We changed the name of the company from Miller Watch Company to Winfield, came up with the new logo. He got me started on Instagram and Facebook and things like that, that really I had no intimate knowledge of whatsoever. So, you know, when you're talking about kind of uh, barriers to entry and things like that in today's market, it's really, you have to be a social media wizard. You have to know how to create content, how to post, how to, uh, you know, do promotions without burning through cash. Like there's no tomorrow with no results, uh, stuff like that. So really uh, the business kind of component was pretty, pretty cut and dry. You know, a business is a business, but the thing for me that was really uh, eye opening and was really something that I spent a lot of time working on was social media. 100%. Yeah, you can have a great product, but how you sell it is its own problem, own right. And you, you're talking about YouTube. It's amazing to me how much you learned on YouTube. But I actually went on YouTube and was looking at your watch and seeing some of the videos. And you had one that was posted six months ago with 1.3 thousand views and one with 3,000 views mm. posted six months ago. And that was going to be a question that you kind of just answered there was, you know, what approach did you take for your social media and creating content? And so, you know, I've hired some of these advertising firms as well. And I've, I've found that, you know, you get what you pay for. You can pay someone 500 a month, not talking about the, the cost to produce the content, mm. um, or you can pay them up to a couple thousand a month. Mm. And so it's just, you know, cost versus reward, what, what you're looking for. But that's a, that's a pretty awesome story. Yeah. Well, he got me set up on Shopify. Yeah. And Shopify is just, I mean, I'm sure there's other other platforms like Shopify, but uh, for me, Shopify just makes, you know, it makes everything possible. It's just, it's really integrated as far as receiving payments, things it like is. that. Yeah. I, so uh, I used Wix and Wix, I, had to yeah. get, I had to get off of it and I have Shopify now. And, yeah. Uh, it's I started amazing. with Wix. Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah. It seems like everyone that starts with Wix that once the company grows more than a couple hundred customers, you have to go to Shopify because it yeah, just makes so yeah, much more yeah. sense. Yeah, we set up an, the uh, initial launch website that launched on November 1st of last year. And I'm like, man, you know, this isn't doing, doing it for me. So I really dove in and opened Shopify capabilities and just kind of self-taught. And ended up, you know, they have, they've got templates for websites, things like that, which I used, which is our current, uh, our current website, you know, and they make it super easy. And I think the template was like $99 or something like that, you know, so Shopify is just, it's really just a key team member in team Winfield and, and moving this stuff forward. So, you know, for, for your listeners who might be looking for a platform, it sounds like you know, both of us have some really good experience with, with Shopify. So, Absolutely. yeah, so People that was key. I wanted to ask you, um, when you were talking about your social media person, at, at what point in your company did you bring that person on board? What was your kind of decision-making process behind that? You know, what were some of the things that you saw that, that made you decide that I need a third person to, to help me with this? I went to a seminar 
for microbrand watches actually. And this guy did a marketing component of that seminar. So ended up talking with him and, you know, I needed a website. I needed uh, to set up social media platforms. And I'm like, you know, I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> I don't know the first thing about how to do that. You know, he really was instrumental in getting things set up. Within probably six or eight months, I found that using things like Shopify and getting smarter on Instagram and other social right. media platforms, I'm like, yeah, man, I think I got it. I think I'm ready to kind of take control of my own destiny here and ended up doing it myself. But, uh, you know, it was right from, right from the get go. Yeah. Um, I'll jump know. in there, Mark. So yeah. I, I did the exact same thing. So I mm. paid a high end marketing firm and they, they did great work. So they, it went for about six months mm-hmm. and I think it was well spent because I actually learned quite a lot from mm. them, but you're exactly, exactly what you just said. After a certain point, you kind of figure out how to drive yourself, and then you say, "Okay, I can, I can do this." Um, and you know, I'm I'm pretty tech savvy. I mean, I, I understood everything, but I still went out and paid the high end just to see what I didn't know, and so that I could learn from them. And you know, we parted amicably, but at a certain mm-hmm. point, it was just you know, I I got it. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a I can fly. So I thought what you said resonated with me because I I kind of took the same approach but it wasn't like I didn't know anything about social media. Even if you are social media savvy, I still think sometimes it's beneficial to pay an expert to just kind of find out what they can offer and what they can do. And then you can kind of mimic some of their tricks and tips as you go forward with your own social media, you know, sales platform. Oh yeah. I completely concur. The, uh, I kind of got sucked into the vortex of Facebook ads and Instagram ads so I ended up spending not an exorbitant amount of money, but, uh, you know, it was money that really I didn't see any return. And, you know, for me, learning what the word conversion meant, it's like, well, you know, you, you need conversions. Yep. On the beginning, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, I guess I need conversions. But it wasn't until I started spending ad money and promotion money that I really found out that, okay, what I'm doing is, I'm spending money on ads and I'm not getting a commensurate amount of sales from those ads. And those sales are the conversion. It's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Oh, I see what I'm doing. Yep. So now, you know, so originally it was really super focused, hyper focused on getting Instagram followers and getting people to sign up on the website and things like that. Uh, you know, getting in front of as many eyeballs as I could possibly get in front of. Now that I'm in front of a good amount of eyeballs, I need to now get those eyeballs to pull the trigger and convert to, you know, to, to buying. That's really where I am now. I'm not so much interested in getting in front of more people. I'm now focusing on getting the people I'm already in front of to actually become customers. And that, that was a big evolution in my growth of understanding the power of social media. You know, I'm thinking, well, you know, I just need to get in front of 50 million eyeballs and I'll sell watches like crazy. It's like, well, okay. You know, that that's, it's not that that's not true, but you can get in front of 50 million eyeballs, but if you can't convert them to sales, then, you know, you've just wasted your time putting yourself out you know, with no return. Yeah, so. So I've had this debate with my partner. So I've got a partner. Uh, we have a couple companies. One of them, the one I'm 
discussing now is called the perfect ribbon. So I got a 50-50 partner and we, we had the same discussion. So on, on ad spends, for people that don't know, when you do a social media advertising run, all they have to do is click on the link and then you're charged the money. And just like Mark was saying, it doesn't necessarily convert into sales. So you can set a budget and you can go forward with that budget. But if people are just clicking on the link and they're not buying anything, you're spending money. So the question mm -hmm. becomes, when does it make sense? Like, what's the balance? And we had this discussion about a Super Bowl commercial. If somebody spends, I don't know what they cost now, $20 million for a 30 second commercial, is that company literally going to have more than 20 million in conversions? And in my argument, it's probably not. But sometimes it comes down to credibility and exposure. So then it's me and my partner discussing, even though we may not get 100% on investment in terms of whatever our ad spend is to conversion, is there still a number that we're willing to spend to get our name out there? And then it's just kind of a, a delicate back and forth. So you have to be very careful. And, and sometimes I'll have competitors who will come up in my social media feed and then I'll just click on the social media link just to charge them money and then exit out. Once, once you start to realize how these ad spends work and then, you know, there's, it gets so complicated. There's code and cookies that get mm. embedded in your computer. Mm. So that there's re attacks that show up in your feed after you go mm. to the website once and, there's just this whole science behind the curtain on, on how these ads work. And that's how a lot of these social media companies make most of their money. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned science. I think there's art too, you know, you kind of kind of feel the ebb and flow of, uh, you know, people visiting your, your Instagram page and, and following you on Instagram and then watching that convert to you know, post a post on Instagram and then hope for the, you know, the associated spike in website visits and, and then hope that spike in website visits then converts to sales. Um, you know, w when you initially start out, I mean, you have to get in front of the eyeballs. You have to get your name out. So for me, you know, I don't know that it was really a conscious effort, but my initial thought was, like I said, you know, I need, I need people to know about Winfield. So, you know, there needs to be that initial launch and initial getting out and having people know who you are and brand awareness and things like that. But eventually it becomes kind of, you know, the point of diminishing returns where it's great that people are signing up, but nobody's buying. And then you need to kind of go into the second phase, which is developing uh, value. People want value. It's like, okay, great. You know, I, I, I follow Winfield on Instagram and now they need to start to see value in the product. And that's where ended up coming across Tim Emmett, who's the mountain climber guy, and another guy named Will Copestake, and then I kind of developed the Team Winfield approach. And my hope there was that, you know, through these hard-use guys wearing Winfield, that that would add value to the brand and create a brand image that people would enjoy. And for me, you know, there's there's nothing that makes me crazier than a micro brand guy who starts to sell dive watches and never, you know, he's not a diver. So there was a lot of credibility issues with me. I want Winfield to be a credible brand. So instead of saying adventure watch, you know, I wanted to have bring some adventure to the website and, you know, I'm an extensive world traveler and, and master scuba diver and, and all this stuff myself. So I feel like I've got credibility to talk about an adventure watch. And to me, it's about credibility and legitimacy in claims. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, here's a dive watch. You know, you can go 
you know, 300 meters and, and, you know, a bunch of stock photographs of, of, of divers. It's like, well, you know, I think that's great. You know, it works for those guys, but that's really not what I wanted. You know, I wanted credibility and legitimacy. And to me, you know, nothing says credibility and legitimacy, like, you know, somebody doing something. So, yeah. So that was something else that kind of developed through, just through the process. I mean, it's a journey to use a cliche. It's definitely a journey and you learn things along the way. And that was something that developed after I started was this desire for legitimacy and credibility. That's a a great story. I think there are a lot of great lessons in in everything you said. What have you found has been, has been the most successful for you? You know, you were talking about conversions a minute ago. Hmm. What direction are you headed now? You know, what's, what's working for you? Well, we're starting to get posts from customers. And really, that was, you know, to me, an indicator that we're actually starting to to get out. You know, initially, it was, you know, pictures of me wearing the watch or, you know, pictures of a friend of mine wearing a watch or something like that. It was always related to me personally making this image happen and then posting it on social media you know, through sales and, and strategic partnerships with guys who are pretty heavily on Instagram and, uh, you know, working with these you know, strategic alliances uh, to where they're now posting, where just regular customers are now posting photographs, you know, so really I'm trying to solicit as much of that, I guess you could call it third party social media posting you know, I think that's really starting to pay dividends because those guys have followers who are now starting to comment on their posts. So it's like, you know, so it it goes from me to the customer, which is like once removed and now the customers, friends and followers. So that's twice removed from me trying to get into more of a self-perpetuating marketing effort with customers that are now causing new awareness through people that I have no contact with whatsoever. So that's really been something that's fun. I've really done a lot of work to try and I I can't say enough times, (laughs) it's all about social media and connections and being social on social media. You know, there's a, uh, a great strap company in the UK called Zulu Alpha Straps. And it's a Royal Navy guy that started a strap company, just fantastic straps. And, uh, you know, I really liked his product. So, uh, you know, I reached out to him and said hi and, you know, developed a relationship with Darren. And this this relationship building via social media channels really, to me, unlocks, you know, even more power of social media. It's one thing to get your product out in social media. Well, it's a, you know, it's a completely different higher level to actually have social media, you know, partners and strategic alliances that are in the same business that can now help you gain more exposure through their channels. And that, you know, and it's just all about, I'm, I'm, I sit on my phone like every waking hour and my <laughs> wife's like, put your phone down. It's like, no, I, you know, I can't put my phone down because some guy asks a question or somebody makes a comment and I have to respond and, you know, and all this stuff happening and it, you just, you become glued to social media. And it's one thing when my 19 year old daughter who was 
you know, younger when she was glued to social media, that was a completely different, <laughs> that was completely different. It's like now yeah. it's about, it's about money. It's about business. It's about moving Winfield forward. Right. And it's not just, you know, letting your BFFs know, you know, what you're doing. You know, it's about growing that social media content and quiver of arrows that are going to help move your company and your, your mission forward. So that, that's Mark, been, that's been just huge. Yeah. Mark, you're talking about twice removed, um, you know, people reposting following that's not immediately connected to you. So ultimately what I hear in all that is growth. Can you talk to me? Cause I'm really interested about production. So I get it. You have tinkered with watches for a lot. You've figured out how to import some of these different accessories and put them together. But as this mm -hmm. thing grows, how are you managing production? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a production manager who is responsible for kind of navigating with the manufacturers and the plant side of the business. That was just a talk about strategic alliances. That was just, that was huge. That was just massive. Um, you know, it can be pretty daunting to go to factories and, and try and cause this stuff to happen. But, you know, he really provided good access. Does He does a just a huge volume yearly of units that just really streamlined the entire process. You know, reaching out and not being afraid to talk to people and develop, you know, he came to me through, through a guy that I kind of developed this relationship with who also happened to be a strap seller, Toxic Natos, Terry Williams. Terry, so Terry turned me on to this guy and, you know, if I would have reached out and developed a relationship with Terry, I would have never found out about this guy that I use. And again, you know, it goes back to developing these relationships, finding people who are in the same business, who have the same likes and just using their, you know, years of experience and massive Rolodex of, of contracts and just, you know, being, being a good guy and not being a jerk and, you know, having a, having good, you know, good work ethic and being honest and all this kind of stuff. And, and it pays off, you know, people start to open up and people start wanting to jump on the, on the bandwagon and help you be successful. And, and then that just breeds access to more of those people, you know, so if it, if it wasn't for this, the, you know, the reaching out and not being afraid or not being intimidated to approach people, it would have been a lot more difficult as well. Where do you do that? Where do you do that production at? Is it uh, local in the United States, or do you outsource across the seas? Yeah, it, it's it, they're all Asia built, just like all watches. And the uh, quality check, the assembly and quality check, happen in the U.S. Yeah, I guess my question with that is: so I've looked at outsourcing for injection molding across the seas, and it's just you know somebody producing your thing somewhere else almost has understands the process of building your thing better than you do and you have a, uh, a limited time lim limited windows where you can go out and see the process of your thing have you have you experienced any challenges with that has it been a problem or or not at all well you know through this production manager that i have it really took a lot of the guesswork out and a lot of trial trial and error out of the equation and, you know, there's a little bit of a premium to be paid to outsource with a production management, but, you know, it's proven to be just immensely worth the premium to have somebody who 
has intimate knowledge of the production process and manufacturers and, you know, because it's so easy to get into. And, you know, if, if you talk to micro brand guys, you know, they've gone through two or three manufacturers and they had, you know, their first run had this big issue. And so they had to scrap it and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, it's a really hard road if you try and go it alone. So I think, you know, some good advice that I kind of fell into was, you know, if you can find people that know what they're doing and get them to be champions of your effort, then that's going to save a lot of heartache and money issue in the long run. Yeah. It, it helps you get where you're going quicker too, you know? Yeah. You know, you hear about um, like crowdsourcing, crowdfunding websites and, you know, you order a watch and you wait 10 months to get it. And, you know, it doesn't look anything like the watch that you, uh, you know, that you bought. Well, that's because, you know, there were changes and things that, that uh, the factory made just because they thought they should. And then there was a lack of communication and, you know, and ends up with customers that, you know, may or may not be very happy with the, with the end result. But, uh, you know, I know that when I get a rendering of, of a model of a watch that that 3d 4k graphic is going to look or the watch is going to look exactly like that rendering and that's you know that's huge <laughs> if you can get people to that uh you know if you can surround yourself with people who have made all the mistakes and they're willing to help you not make those mistakes i mean that's that's a money shot right there You've had a lot of successes and it's, this is a great story. I'm fascinated. I'd, I would like to talk about though, are there any, any things that popped up that were unexpected? I mean, what were some of the, the hurdles that, that you had to overcome? Money. You know, a lot of people, when you're starting a, uh, an effort, it's like, well, you know, if I just had some money. So, uh, you know, so through some creative means and some risk taking and uh, taking on of a, of a partner, um, you know, we were able to fund, we were able to self fund. Okay. And in the, in the micro brand watch startup, you know, market sector, that's huge. So if you can, if you can just do it, just do it without having to go through pre-sales without having to go through Kickstarter, uh, things like that. I mean, you know, that's huge. So putting together the capital, uh, is, is always a challenge for everybody. You know, I, I keep going back to social media, you know, I had a Facebook account for years and years, like everybody, but, you know, I didn't know the first thing about, you know, how to advertise and, you know, how to actually use social media as opposed to just, you know, just using it to post 4th of July barbecue yeah. pictures, you know, to be able to actually use it as a strategic tool to create success of a company. I mean, that was, that was alien technology to me you know, a year and a half ago when I first kind of started getting serious about this. So there was a, just a giant learning curve in that regard. But, um, you know, you have to have a product that people want to buy. There's some, you know, there's a, the other side of it, which is, you know, it's kind of the same business concepts that have existed since businesses were created. You know, you got to have a product that is good, high quality, uh, good design, you have to be able to demonstrate and not just say that you have good customer service. You have to demonstrate that. 
uh, you know, and, and those kind of things go a long way as well. And then being fiscally responsible and being able to manage a company, um, you know, that's another pitfall. You hear that, you know, what is it, nine out of 10 or four out of five or whatever small businesses fail within the first year. A lot of that failure is based on the starter of the company not knowing how to run a business. There's some business savvy that, that absolutely needs to come into play as well. And again, you know, it's not like you need to go to Harvard MBA school. I mean, you know, you can just Google stuff on the internet and come up with more examples than, you know, you could possibly ever use, but you just have to be diligent. Uh, two things I want to talk about real quick. Had you considered going to Kickstarter? Is that something that you had looked into? Um, I know you mentioned it briefly. And yeah. the second thing I wanted to ask you is um, for someone who is looking to start a business and is in need of capital, would you suggest if they don't have access to other sources, you know, the small business administration, is that something that you have any experience with, or is that something that you could suggest um, as well? I mean, there's been a lot of massive success and a lot of really high quality, successful microbrand watches have started on, uh, on Kickstarter. Kickstarter has its uses and whatnot, but I specifically did not want to do that. And if I would have had to rely on Kickstarter, I don't think I would have done it just because of the, you know, the pitfalls of you know, having, a, you know, what could end up being a lot of other people's money without anything to give them in exchange for that money. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like asking people to fund the production of something that doesn't exist. And to me, that was just, I mean, that just caused me massive anxiety thinking about that. It's like, what if this, what if that? And if you end up in a position where you have to give the money back, then you just, you know, to me, that's the biggest form of loss of credibility that you could ever possibly imagine. And, you know, so Kickstarter was was specifically not something that we that we entertained because there's just, you know, there's just too much risk. And also from the research I did, it sounded like Kickstarter a few years ago was pretty legit. I mean, it was some serious folks with a serious idea. And now, you know, anybody can start a Kickstarter campaign. And it seems to have kind of been watered down over, you know, here in, in the recent past, because so many people are going to Kickstarter and so many people are starting campaigns there are some major brands that still major micro major micro brands that still go the Kickstarter route, but people have, you know, no hesitation because of the serious track record that these, that these company have companies have. So, you know, it's a no brainer, but to be Mark Miller with Winfield watch company who nobody's ever heard of. And, you know, please give me, you know, two or $300 and I'll hopefully get you a watch someday. Just that was never a recipe that I ever really, you know, considered to, to be good. Uh, that, that's interesting. Yeah. The, the impression I get, you know, from Kickstarter and the watches I've seen, it, it almost seems as if you're as a consumer, you know, if it, it seems as though you're almost funding like a pre-production, you know, prototype of whatever you're buying because you're, you're getting something that hasn't even existed, just like you said. Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were asking about uh, SBA and stuff like that. And I went down the SBA route on a uh, general contracting operation that I started. And, uh, you know, as long as the, the market is good and that you've got 
you know, that you can easily see 10 years of, of success and 10 years of ability to, uh, you know, service that debt. Uh, you know, it's great. It's exactly what, you know, that concept is exactly what the SBA was designed for, you know, to help Americans start businesses and, and live the American dream. But, uh, you know, you have to be sure that you can service that debt until it's paid off. Right. So that, that's, and, you know, again, it's like, well, when you're starting a, a, like a watch company, it's like, well, you know, I have no idea <laughs> where, where this is going to go, right. you know, in 10 years, I hope it's successful. I'm doing everything I can do to make it successful, but to sign on the dotted line and, and put your house, uh, have them hold a second on your house and stuff like that. Am I that confident? Yeah. Well, maybe not, you know, it's pretty tough. So coming up with partners and figuring out what you want to do with your savings and stuff like that, you know, is for me, was a much better way to go because, you know, there were people who like my wife, <laughs> my main, my main investor was my right. wife letting me do this stuff, <laughs> you know? So to, to me, that was a lot less risky and a lot less, you know, a lot less potential for something pretty serious happening. Well, what I'd be, uh, what I'm hearing and correct me if I'm wrong, please, but the, the kind of route that you went down almost forced you to be as efficient and smart with the resources you had, you know, as possible. And it, what are, you know, it seems like if you did get that SBA loan, you would have had that cash in your back pocket and maybe it would have been a temptation to, to be more risky, you know, than you have been. So, it, I mean, it seems to me that you kind of went down this road, but it, it, it seems to be working out in your favor. I mean, is that, is that a correct assumption? Yeah, so far so good. I mean, we, we stood up November 1st of 2019 with our first sale, probably six or eight months before that, you know, we started kind of this phased product awareness. It was kind of like a Kickstarter campaign without asking for any money. You know, it was establishing um, the Instagram account and, and coming up with some killer 4K graphics of, of the MT1, which is our first release, you know, just kind of developing an awareness. And then about 60 days out from November 1st, then we started to ramp up the uh, excitement and trying to, you know, generate a groundswell of, of interest and excitement for the sale going live on November 1st. And so by the time November 1st came, you know, there were, there were guys ready to go and, and we had a good opening day and sold a bunch of watches and it's like, all right, well, you know, we're in it now, <laughs> you know, we're, we're off, we're off and running, you know, so that, that was a big, and that was a big marketing learning experience was kind of watching that unfold from, you know, six months out to four months out right. to three months to one month out and ramping this up to create excitement and, and stimulation in the market to kind of hit the ground running on November 1st. And that, that was a lot of stuff that this marketing guy helped me with. Yeah, that was, you know, so that was certainly a big learning experience. Yeah. Uh, Brian, to your, to your point though, and sorry, Mark, I'm kind of just answering Brian here, but I, I've, I've watched a couple uh, pitches to some venture capitalists and I've heard the feedback to really exactly to your point and, and you know, 
they gave a pitch, they wanted X amount of dollars and the company had good solid financials, it was growing, but the feedback that was given was, hey, if I give you money, you're gonna recklessly spend it. I can see you with the money that you have right now growing this at a much you know, more attention to detail with the risk because it's your own money. Whereas if I give you this money, here's what I think you're gonna spend it on recklessly. So I think that there is a lot of validity in, you know, to Mark's point, if you got the money, just spend it and you and you know take a chance. I saw on Mark's LinkedIn, he said nothing of substance happens without a healthy dose of risk. You know, you either take risk or you end up working for people that do. Right. But I think if you can pull the money together and do it, just I mean, to your point, you're you're obviously a lot more in tune with the decisions you're making because you know, as uh, Mark pointed out, one of the biggest hurdles. In, especially in the beginning, always has to do with funding right. from everything you do. So I just think that's a point I wanted to, to drive home. No, so. I totally agree. And and the reason I brought that up is, you know, I think what's really striking about, you know, Mark's story is that most of what he's done really wouldn't have been possible, you know, 10 or 15 years ago without the internet, without, you know, LinkedIn, without YouTube. And, you know, that's kind of the whole point of the show is that, you know, in, in 2020, the amount of resources that every one of us has access to is incredible. And, you know, I, I think where I was going with that is had you had a huge loan from a, a venture capitalist or the SBA, you know, you could have easily justified, I need a production manager. I need to pay this guy. I need to pay this guy. But in 2020, you know, it's, it's reaching out to people, just like you said, you know, it's reaching out to, to people that are in your industry, reaching out to people, you know, where you want to reach out to people who are in a position where you want to get to. And, you surround yourself with the people that are doing what you want to do and everybody knows somebody else. And I, I think that's what I'm most struck by in, in your story, Mark, is that it's, it's really, it came down to relationships and knowing the people and just talking to people, you know, it's everything kind of came together. Um, and it's, it's really incredible. And, you know, you talked about YouTube and how, um, you know, you kind of got the taste for repairing watches and building watches and making modifications, you know, on YouTube and, I mean, that's, I think, a lot more profound than, than people realize, because even, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, before YouTube was around, if you wanted to learn how to essentially manufacture watches, you had to go to a watchmaker school um, and pay for a for essentially a formal education. Am, am, am I right? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there are these just, and, and I'm sure it goes across the board for anything, you know, you could probably give your buddy a appendix, take his appendix out through <laughs> watching videos on, on YouTube. But, um, you know, I mean, there's step-by-step, step, like screw-by-screw, piece-by-piece macro photography on how to take watch movements apart and put it back together. And, you, you know, in the matter of about an hour, it's like, oh, I could do this, yeah. you know. And then it's just practice. But you know, I'm a guitar player and there's the same thing with, with guitar playing, you know, you know, there's so many tabs and so many uh, instructors and with stuff on YouTube that, you know, you can become a genius guitar player in half the time it used to take you when you used to have to go to the music store and take lessons and buy song books and stuff like that and you know so being able to actually use this stuff for something more than just watching cat videos has been a real eye-opener for me you know it's like there's there's actual practical tools that will help you succeed if you just look for them 
Is this your daughter again? Instead of, you know, just posting pictures, she's watching. (laughs) (laughs) I heard a comedian say, you know, we've got access to all the knowledge uh, of, you know, since the dawn of man (laughs) in our hand. And what do we do? We just watch cat, cat videos. And it's like, Oh man, how true. But uh, yeah, you know, so if you use this stuff for, for good instead of evil, it's amazing how much you can accomplish through YouTube and, and social media. But you're right. It wouldn't, none of this would have been possible 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, this whole micro brand watch thing and everything I'm doing would not have been possible it would have been impossible to do because you wouldn't have the access to any of the sales channels, any of the, right. the manufacturing channels, and it would have just cost a, you know, a, an unbelievably huge amount of money. And then you'd have to go peddle them to watch stores right. because that's the only place you could, you know, you go, you want to watch, you go to the jewelry store and you buy a watch. So yeah, that's, that's, that's it, really changed everything. Oh, that's a great point too. I mean, it, I don't, I think people are forgetting, how much things have changed, you know, because just like you said, you know, if you wanted to start a watch company, you would have had to have actually knocked on doors and gone into retailers and, you know, had to pay for print ads in a magazine, and, you know, and there's no, there's no way to measure the return on a, on a print ad, unlike a, an ad that can be clicked on, you know, you, you really truly don't know how many people are, are looking at that ad. And it's, you know, that's kind of the, the point of the show, just to reiterate it, but it's really incredible. You know, everything that, everything you're talking about uh, 10 years ago, like you said, it, it wouldn't have been possible, you know, you, without starting a massive, I mean, company, you know, without having a bunch of employees and, and doing everything else, I, you wouldn't have been able to do what you're doing today. Uh, yeah, and I think for, I think for vets, um, you know, folks coming out of the military looking for stuff to do, uh, you know, maybe they've got an idea, maybe they've got a dream or, you know, something that came to them on active duty and, uh, you know, there's never been a better time to pursue entrepreneurialism than today. I mean, th- this yeah. this is the best time in history, best time that there's ever been to actually develop a game plan and execute. And, uh, you know, so, and, and, you know, not only is is that happening just with people deciding they want to do stuff. I mean, it's being reflected in, in business schools and, and in academia, there's, you know, there's heavy influences on MBAs with, you know, with an entrepreneurism uh, uh, emphasis and things like that. I mean, it's just a really exciting time to start businesses and it's good for the market too, because it's, it's more variety. You know, you can buy a watch from, you know, I used to go to, you know, go to the department store or whatever and buy a Seiko or a Citizen and, you know, and off you went. But now you can buy all kinds of watches from all types of different interesting people with interesting stories. And, you know, the, the depth of stuff that's available from the consumer side, I mean, is it's unparalleled. You know, it makes it kind of hard because on the on the producer side, because there is so many companies or there are so many companies, you know, there's so many micro brand companies and all this stuff. So you really need to find a way to differentiate yourself from the crowd. But from a consumer standpoint, and, you know, it's a it's a great time to be interested in buying something because 
there's niche companies and, and things that provide a lot more interest than just going to the department store and buying, you know, whatever it is you wanted, you know, <laughs> whatever it is you thought you needed. And, but you know, there's just so many more options now. And that's really exciting. I think. Oh, absolutely. I, t- I totally agree. Uh, so on that note, you know, as much as you're comfortable sharing, you know, what, where do you see, you know, Winfield watch going in, in the future? You know, what, uh, what plans can you share with us and yeah. about where you're going to go? Yeah, yeah. Well, the current watches that we've got the MT one and the MT two uh, mission timer one and mission timer two, and that's a name generated by the type of bezel. So it's a time elapsed bezel instead of a, a, uh, um, you know, time expended bezel. So, you know, it, it times things anyway. Um, so it's, those are the first two watches of, of what I'm calling the mission series. And there'll probably be one or two more releases in the mission series. And then I think that'll close that out and, uh, and we'll move on to something else. But for me, you know, I want to make sure that watches are always available and, you know, so we come out with the MT1, MT2, a couple of other versions. You know, I really want those to be, to be constantly available uh, and grow the, the offerings on the website from, you know, currently two uh, to four to six to eight and ha- actually have some options that are constantly available. And to me, that is kind of a differentiator in, in, uh, micro brands as well because you know there's nothing worse than seeing a picture of some cool watch and you're like oh man you know i'm interested in that watch you go to the website and sold out or yeah. you know or no longer available or whatever they've moved on you know I'd, i really want to create again going back to legitimacy you know i want to create a legitimate and uh sustainable company that'll allow you to buy an mt1 you know five years from now because they're still available it's still you know, they're still being produced. And, you know, and then that opens up the opportunity for design enhancements and fine tuning of movements and, and types of crystals and things like that. So, you know, so Winfield is, is a company that is looking at kind of a three-year plan and a five-year plan and when to release models, when to release new, you know, I, I call them you know, just I, it's major announcements, you know, so we had the major announcement of MT1, then we had the major announcement of MT2, you know, and then here in a few months, there's going to be another major announcement. Uh, one of the things I'm doing is taking the f- manufacturing of straps and moving them to the, moving that component to the U.S. and using, uh, you know, some uh, U.S. tanneries and wow. U.S. craftsmanship to actually manufacture and make uh, watch straps. So, um, you know, the, the more I can do U.S.-based stuff, you know, the more I can do that, the better off the company is going to be. And, you know, certainly kind of in a big picture, the better off the U.S. is going to be, right. you know, to bring, you know, just even if it's just, you know, a few straps, bringing that to the u.s and being able to say these are you know made from horween leather from the horween tannery in chicago uh you know handcrafted in in the united states to me that that means a lot so we're we're looking at transitioning into having some really higher end straps available and that'll that'll go well with um you know follow on 
watch models that are going to be a little bit higher end, a little bit higher price point. So from a price point standpoint, you know, kind of have a, uh, you know, a regular kind of, you know, digestible sale price up to, you know, something that starts to look a little more high end for guys who might want to, you know, feel like they're getting a little bit more, um, you know, finer fit and finish and movement and stuff like that. So kind of taking a look and spreading out the, the uh, price points as well. Well, That's great. That being said, do you, um, just out of curiosity, do you have any desire or any plans to bring more of the watch component manufacturing in-house? Is that been a, um, I, I know there aren't many U.S. manufacturers of watch parts, but do you, I guess my bigger picture, bigger question is, do you feel like maybe that's changing to some degree or, you know, do you have any future plans for that? Well, on the movement side, there's a company in Phoenix who originally started, I don't know whether, you know, two, three years ago, whatever, um, but they're actually manufacturing U.S., actual true U.S. manufactured quartz movements. And they're also moving into automatics. So they're, they're going to have, okay. have some automatic movements available. And I'd love nothing more than to be able to support an effort like that, you know, but for me, you know, I need to make sure that that, that those movements are vetted out over, right. you know, numerous years of use to kind of see how they, you know, kind of see how they shake out. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't want to jump into that too soon. And it's really unfortunate, but it's just, you know, it's just the reality. And I really hope that those guys are massively successful and we can start looking at, at fabrication and manufacturing of stuff in the U S that would just be tremendous. Yeah, that, that's great. And I, that brings up a good point too, as far as, you know, watches are concerned for anyone that's not you know familiar, there used to be probably countless American manufacturers that manufactured everything in house here in the U S and, and they've all kind of fell by the wayside over the years. So, you know, there is very little U S domestic, you know, watch production. And that was kind of my, my interest is, you know, do you, since it almost all dried up, I wonder if there's a, if there's a demand and if there's a, a movement to, to kind of bring some of it back. Cause I like, just like you said, I'd love nothing more than to see, you know, a U.S. made watch, you know, and employ, you know, Americans that uh, have an actual skilled trade like that. I think that's yeah. great. Um, so I, I hope they, uh, same here. I, I hope they're very successful. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of brands that, that do that, but I mean, their watches rightly so pretty expensive. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not cheap. And if I, you know, if I wanted to spend two or $3,000 on a watch, <clears throat> you know, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think I would uh, go down that road and I probably would, but you know, there's, I don't know. It's just, it's just really, I don't want to use the word risky, but I guess for lack of a better term, that's a pretty good word to use. And you're really buying the fact that they are U.S. made right. as opposed to, you know, buying a watch. You're buying more of a concept, I guess, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mark, you got to do what's best for the business in my opinion. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's exactly that's, right. That's right. So, yeah, if, if the return on investment, bringing it back to America makes sense, then that's great. But uh, business first would be my opinion on that. Yeah. Well, also, too, I mean, I think when you, when you're spending several thousand dollars on a watch, you are much less uh, likely to wear it in harsh environments like your watches are, are designed for. So it does kind of go against, you know, what you're, what you're trying to do. So that's a good point. Uh, Well, that's kind of the, the difference between, you know, I get a lot of heat for 
doing quartz movements. Well, you know, I could have just as easily done automatic. You know, I had complete control over the type of movement and the automatics just weren't consistent with the company image, the image of the watches that I wanted to achieve. You know, I want shooters to be able to use these watches, uh, you know, golf players, you know, guys going and summiting Everest, which, <laughs> which was a uh, deal that got canceled because of the COVID thanks COVID. <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I want these watches to be usable. And, the, you know, I'd like to say the only reason why, you know, these automatic watches were used in the 50s and 60s and in extreme environments and going to Antarctica and going into space is because quartz watches didn't exist. <laughs> because if they would have, they would have used quartz. Right. You know what I mean? It's just without exception, more rugged, more accurate, more durable. It just is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm as big a fan of mechanical watches as the next guy, but, uh, you know, I specifically chose quartz because of the, uh, you know, the company, the corporate image that I wanted to create. And uh, the fact also that it was kind of an underserviced type of, of movement in the industry. And I thought, well, there, you know, to me, there was an opportunity for a true rugged watch that has a the only watch the only movement that a rugged watch should ever have which is a quartz movement and package that up and uh and take it to market and so far you know it was a tough sale in the beginning and reviewers are like well you know if there was only a an automatic it'd be great well no if it was an automatic it would be less great right. it'd be less great because then it wouldn't be as rugged as this watch is so you know there's there's obviously in my opinion room for both types of watches in someone's collection um you know i've got plenty of of automatic watches i've got a few quartz and then uh you know certainly with winfield right now winfield's in a quartz mode and uh eventually as we get into um you know higher dollar more sophisticated offerings that aren't specifically designed for a guy you know hitting the range and and uh, you know, doing stuff, then we'll transition into an automatic offering and then we'll have the, the quartz and the automatic both covered. And that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the five-year plan. Well, that's great. That, that's great to hear. We like to ask, what advice would you give to young and aspiring entrepreneurs that are just starting off? Man, I'm telling you, well, like I mentioned, there is no better time, in my opinion, to develop a concept and find out whether or not it works because there are so many tools available. And the thing is, you just, you can't be shy, you know, reach out to people on social media because they will respond. They truly will. You know, I'm living proof that if you just go, Hey, you know, my name is Mark and you know, I'm just a guy. And one next thing you know, you're striking up a meaningful conversation that helps you get where you're going. So, you know, there's just, there's no better time. There's no better time than now. And young guys in the military and maybe looking to get off active duty and things like that. If, if you think this is something that you want to do, then just jump in. There's tons of information uh, available to help you succeed. So, you know, just make it happen because you can. Totally agree. Yeah. That's a great way to end it. <laughs> I, exactly. 
Uh, well, Mark, you know, we'll close it out here. Uh, I just want to say, you know, thank you very much for coming on. You have an incredible story and, you know, everything that you talked about, it's really all the things that, that we're trying to drive home. You know, it, all, like we said, everything that you've, you've done wouldn't have been possible, you know, even five years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. at, yeah. for sure. So, yeah. you know, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing oh, your story. You thank you for your time. I certainly uh, appreciate it. You know, for anyone that's, uh, that's interested in, in Mark's watches, please go check them out. Winfield watch. Um, we're going to have some links on our website. Uh, so you can, uh, check out his watches. You have a great story and I, there's really nothing else I can add. So on that note, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well guys, thanks a million. Thanks Mark. You sure appreciate it. All right. All right. Yep. Well, you catch everybody next time. And this is a nothing owed podcast and Brian and Stu are out.